0: Welcome to the second season of Alternative Parenting Podcast, where we learn how to guide our kids to find their own path while supporting them in cultivating traits that will empower them to live a life of fulfillment, meaning, and satisfaction. I'm your host, Efrat Amira. Welcome back. The person that I'm interviewing today is someone that I met exactly a year ago when me and my family were traveling in Mexico. We traveled for about a month in Yucatan Peninsula and in our last week we decided to chill out in an Airbnb in Cancun. On our first day there, we met a family and all of us clicked immediately. We had great conversations with them. And the dad, Chad Scott, was actually the one who inspired me to do this podcast. Chad is the owner and founder of Ultimate Team Products, a company of over 15 years, 40 locations, and 130-plus team members. In addition, Chad is also a best-selling online instructor and investor in both early-stage startups and established businesses, he has won multiple awards as an author. Outside of work, you can find him mentoring young entrepreneurs in small towns across America. In this conversation, we talk all about his journey and what he has learned along the way. I was very determined to get insights about parenting from him, and I think we got some really, really good ones. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Now on to the conversation. Hi, Chad. I'm so, so happy to have you here on the podcast. I'm so excited. I've been waiting to talk to you for so long. Um, Yeah, so I would love first to ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your own journey and what you do and how it all came to be.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, I'm excited to be here and I love chatting with you and I love, love your podcast, just for the record. So I was excited you asked me to join. So uh, you asked me you know, a little bit about myself. So my name's Chad. I grew up in a small town in Southeast Missouri, a population around 10,000 people. And I left and moved to Chicago to go to college. And I attended a school called Dominican University. I, uh, you know, I don't know how far down this rabbit hole you want me to go, but I quit, I quit college with one semester left. Mm -hmm. And I actually never finished. Um, Looking back on it, it was a very, very dumb decision. But the reason I did it was I truly thought I had a chance at being successful and I didn't want my school to take any credit for it because I didn't feel like I learned much outside of networking. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, So that's the reason that I left. But after leaving there, I stayed in Chicago and I started a company that sells team and individual posters at youth sporting events across the country. And so today I have offices in 40 states and then I have eight offices in Mexico as of this exact moment. I have one in uh, Buenos Aires in South America, and then I have a large design office in Jakarta in Indonesia. Um, and so, I also invest in a lot of early stage startups. I, uh, I have, I'm a part owner in a hockey tournament company, and it's a lot of fun for me. It's just something I really enjoy. And again, a lot of a lot of my branches and entrepreneurship came from my poster company. So, I build technology for one of the largest uh, youth sporting organizations in the world called U triple SA, So I built technology for them and we partnered up. All of that came about again from my initial entrepreneurial journey with posters. So I don't know if that's enough, but uh, that's a little bit about who I am and just kind of where I'm at today.
0: Wow. That's a lot, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I was just curious, what did you study in college?
1: So I went to school initially to study business. Uh, I, I did. That was my intended major was business. and. I had more fun in communication classes, public speaking classes. I had had a lot more. I enjoyed that more. Business was more business law, a lot more formal business, and it wasn't something that I don't know. Just simply, I didn't enjoy it that much. So,
0: and do you feel like what you studied helped you with your businesses afterwards? Uh,
1: To be honest, not really. No. Uh, But what did happen was I did make some contacts and connections through my professors that they took an interest in what I was doing. And so we were able to chat and I was able to reach out to them for advice and things along those lines. And one of the cool things I was able to do, I was able to create an internship through myself, where through my own business that I started in college. And so they allowed me to intern uh, through myself for nine credits. So it's probably the only straight A's I got was I gave myself. So
0: (laughs) I love it. How awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, I want us to dive in this conversation to talk about parenting. Sure. So I'm so interested to know how we can help our kids or guide our kids to become entrepreneurships, right? So I was curious yeah. to ask if you if you think that your the way that you were parented affected your self-drive, you know, and just becoming your own boss and building your own businesses.
1: Yeah, so... No, the way I was parented. No, I actually don't think it did. Um, So I grew up, I had, I had my parents. They're great. Okay. My mom was like super, super mom. They took me to all the sporting events, but we were chronically broke. And um, so we had no money. Okay. And what I think drove me more than anything was the conversations when we would travel with other family members before we would, go to dinner, my parents would say, hey, you're ordering this and don't ask for anything else. And it was those types of things that really, that I remembered. And um, yeah, we lost my house, we lost our house my senior year of high school. And that was very, very hard on me. Um, It was something that I grew up in. And so my parents split when I was 13. And yeah, I mean, it's a long story. If you want to dive deep into my parenting and how I grew up, but my parents split when I was 13 years old. My dad and mom both remarried, actually great people. My stepmom and my dad had a child. Her name's Amber. She's a great friend of mine. She works with me. Um, and But I was 16 years older than her. And when she was born, my stepmom's she wanted to stay home and raise a child from ba- basically birth through kindergarten. And during that time, we went through some hardships and there were a lot of unlucky things that happened for my dad with a business that he had, some other things. And so, yeah, I mean, it was unlucky, but... I think for me, the biggest thing that I learned as a child was I just didn't want that life. I didn't really necessarily learn what I did want, but I knew what I didn't want.
0: Your dad was a businessman as well.
1: So yes, uh, I would, first of all, I think it's important to establish this, especially on a podcast like this, when we're talking to people, there's a big difference in being an entrepreneur and owning a business, right? Because people that that are self-employed, all they do is create a job for themselves, okay? Owning a business is building something that can work or run with or without you. So I would say that throughout my life, I, my dad was definitely self-employed. Um, he built something called a salvage yard, which is like a junkyard where they had old car parts and things like that. And then he built a detail shop. But again, the thing I learned from him was you have to work really, really, really hard. And, you know, so that um, I would say is probably not something that I try to teach. I believe in hard work, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to teach anyone that I'm educating, whether it be my children or people that I'm, you know, consulting or speaking. I think it's more important to to work hard with your brain as opposed to your hands. And I think you know, oftentimes that, especially when I was a kid, we, we didn't get that lesson a lot.
0: So what is the differentiation that you make between being an entrepreneurship and having your own business? or being a businessman?
1: Yeah, so I would say, I, I probably shouldn't have said entrepreneurship. I would say it's more being self-employed versus owning a business. So self-employed, if I give you an example, it would be someone that, um, let's say they put roofs on houses or they're a construction worker, but they go there every day, okay? okay. Versus someone who builds a company might have 10 construction crews and they manage them. Okay. There's a big difference in, you, you see what I'm saying?
0: Yes, yeah. So yeah. So how? where do you think that you got that entrepreneurship brain from?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think my brain and and what I've accomplished in my life was probably a part of evolution, I would say, more than anything else. So in college, one of the best things that ever happened to me, a professor of mine, his, his name's Dr. Rick Calabrese, a close friend of mine to this day, recommended a book to me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it's written by Robert Kiyosaki. It's one of the most famous you know, um, entrepreneurship books of all time was the first book that I truly not only read from start to, be- start to finish, but I loved it. It was the only one that I'd ever done. And what I loved in there was how he really explained that he, it, people that have, I, I don't want to say they're not poor people, but people that have a poor mindset, right? They exchange hours for dollars. And it was the first time that I'd ever really heard that. Like people go to work for 50, you know, let's just say you make whatever, $20 an hour, the maximum amount of money you can make is $20 an hour times 24 hours in a day. And, but the truth is that all reality, you can't even work 24 hours a day. I think at best you might be able to work 18, right. And sleep six. But what I realized that the only way to make more money was to work more hours. And I think that was probably the first thing that like hit me that what I was doing or what I was there to study, to learn uh, probably wasn't going to put me in a direction that would lead to a fulfilling life, and you know I've I've never been someone who loves money. It's it's weird. I, you, you would think that about me, but I actually don't really care about money, and I never have. I always cared about whatever I did. I wanted to be the best. I've been overly obsessed about being the best, and I think that that for me was, was probably been the best thing that uh, you know has worked out for me with all of the things that I've been involved in. Yeah. Wow. I hope that answers your question.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like I'm still trying to understand. So, okay. so is, okay. is being the best, this is a quality that
1: you grew, grew up with? No. Um. So, okay. I, you know, it's tough to explain. It. This is the best way I can explain it. When, when you do something well in life, no matter what it is, money tends to follow, right? So for example, as a kid, let's say that you you have aspirations of playing in the NBA, okay? The National Basketball Association, that's your goal. Well, as a kid, you practice for free, right? As a kid, you play for free. And only those that are obsessed with the details that care about being perfect, that care about being the best, end up making the most. But they sacrifice making money on the front end and they work for free and they play for free and they never ask for it and they commit their life to being the best. And then hopefully, you know, that works out in their favor. And generally, if it doesn't work out to get to the NBA, if you have that type of work ethic, you can apply it in anything else. So I, I guess I, that would be an explanation of being the best. But for me personally, how did I develop it? I think it was more so I became obsessed with solving problems. Okay. Um, Something that I learned very very early on and i you know i've been fortunate i had a couple of phenomenal mentors i mean that are really really phenomenal one of my mentors his name's peter i won't say his last name but he built nextel in mexico and um uh, you know soup i mean they did billions of dollars in revenue he went from one employee himself to 17,000 mm-hmm. and so i had the luxury of being able to learn from him now it wasn't like full hands on like i was his only thing he was teaching but he was always there to answer questions when I had them. And that was such an advantage for me because he gave me all of this insight that otherwise I wouldn't have had.
0: So it's the drive to be the best is the work ethic and the solving problems, like wanting to solve problems. But I'm wondering where the passion to do the specific thing that
1: you decided to do, where did that come from? Okay. Phenomenal question. Uh, You know, I get asked this all the time about how do you know what you want to do? The truth is you don't know. No one knows what they want to do. And I think if you seek out knowing what you want to do, oftentimes you will be disappointed. Um, Because I think as with all things, like let's just use happiness, for example. What makes you happy today? If you were to do it over and over and over every day for the next 12 months, odds are it wouldn't make you happy 12 months from now. So to to be happy and to have passion and drive, I think you have to do things in your life that you deem as a life that you're proud of. So it's more about doing something I'm proud of versus doing something that I love. Look, do I love posters? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Um, not really. I don't really think I care about posters. But what I do love is I love youth sports. I love being outside. I love kids. I loved playing sports as a kid. Um, I love being social. So I'm out and about. I love meeting parents. I love coaches that that do it for free and they just dedicate their time. I think that's amazing. So for me, you know, that's probably the best way I could answer the question because I don't think you ever know what you want to do. Ever. I mean, any true entrepreneur, this is what happens. When you're successful at anything, you end up getting into a bunch of other things. And it tends to be what causes a lot of problems for almost everyone.
0: How did like like the specific poster company start? Like wh- what was the drive yeah. to start that and not something else?
1: Well, um, funny you say that. I, you know, in college, I had a friend who was a graphic design major. And... Um, He had made a picture for a school team, our college soccer team to be, to be exact. And I thought it was really cool. And I had a brother who played in a baseball, uh, he played in high school baseball and they won. they went to state or got third in state or something. And so I had my mom send me a photo and I had my friend remove the background on it and like make it blurry. And we put a record on it and some other things. And I printed this poster at FedEx Kinko's and I sent it to my mom as a gift for my brother. I just thought it'd be cool. And she called me and said, Chad, you know, I need 30 of these. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, everyone thinks it's amazing. They love it, whatever. And so at that point for me, it was like bingo, right? So at the time I was waiting tables at a restaurant in in Oak Brook, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. And this idea, you know, just kept going back in my head. Like, how could we sell posters? What could we do, you know? And so I talked to this guy. I don't want to mention his name because we actually don't speak anymore and it didn't end very well. But um, he and I we sat down and I basically said, how many posters a day could you make? How many can you make? And I figured if he could make 10, then I want to go out and sell 10 of them, right? And, and uh, 10 teams and sell a hundred posters to make, have him make 10. So that was really where the idea came from. And so, you know, when we first started, I went and I tried this all over the place. Like we tried to getting in other high schools. We tried getting in colleges and We could get in and we would do a picture at a high school, like maybe a, you know, a JV and a varsity team and we would sell 20 of them. But I think we were charging like $25 or $30 or something. So you do 20 of those at 600 bucks, which is a lot, but we're splitting it two ways and it takes all week to, you know, it takes a long time to do it. So it didn't, it just didn't make sense. And I was waiting tables at a restaurant and there was a regular, a guy that came in often And I sat and uh, he always came in on Mondays. And I sat down and I chatted with him and I told him I had this idea. And um, he said, well, you know, Chad, I run a youth baseball tournament on Memorial Day weekend. Why don't you try and come out and see, you know, if you could sell them there? So I said, okay, that'd be great. So the event started on Wednesday. So it was a weird event. And looking back, if the event wasn't this exact way, my life would have turned out totally different. But the event started on Wednesday night. And then it was on Thursday night. Then it was on Friday night. Then all of those teams that participated on one of those nights all played on Saturday and Sunday. So I went out on Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night and took all the photos. My friend made them. I had someone print them. And then we went out and sold them on Saturday and Sunday. So the, the very first event that I went out to, I think we made like $3,000. And for me, I was like, holy shit, I was working a lot of doubles <laughs> To, you know, to make $200. Yeah, And so that was when the real light bulb went off. And then to take it a step further, um, you know, my friend and I, we we tried finding other events, but again, we didn't know how to do it because we didn't know the system of finding events. There was a lot that went into that. So we were still trying everything we could try. like Any, Anything you think of, we had something, and I tell this story when I speak a lot called Operation Explosion, right? I was 19 years old or 20 years old. So this is my mindset. And, um, what it was, was we were going to send a free poster to every college in America that made the national tournament for soccer and for football and for basketball. we were going to send the coach a free one with a letter that said that they could order and we would ship them to them. And so we do this, right? I, I find, I mean, and again, I don't know how detailed you want the story, but we get all the information, we send it out and I get some lady, so I don't have any money. Okay, I have no money and I have no way of sending these posters out because t- right now I was paying like $20 to print each one. And I had 300 that sent us emails that said they want a free poster. I don't have six grand under any circumstance. So what I did was I called small town printers near where I grew up and I told them that, you know, my name was Chad. I have a huge poster company in Chicago and we're looking to expand our printing operation. And I have a, a specific job that we're looking for someone to test them out on. And, you know, we only operate on net 30, which is where we pay 30 days later. And I called and I pitched this to like four different places. And I get a lady that says, okay, I'm in. And I was like, what? (laughs) And so I I make all of these, I send them to her, she ships them out. And um, we made enough money to pay the bill and basically made nothing at the end. Um, And so that's how it all got started. And then what took it to the next level, I, I mentioned earlier that my friend Peter, I was working at the same restaurant. I was still there trying to figure out what to do. And I had all these ideas. Peter has a friend that lived in the Chicagoland area. And he and I were friends because he was there every day at the restaurant. So I would talk to him and I told him about my poster idea. And I had all these things in my car uh, because I was showing people, anyone that would listen to me, I was showing off these posters. right? And this guy, Peter, came into our restaurant and His friend, his name was Christos, said, hey, Chad, this is Peter. I want you to meet him. Peter, you know, Chad's got that poster company I was telling you about. And Peter, the first thing he said to me is, Chad, why are you waiting tables? And I said, well, Peter, I have $4,000 in credit card debt because I'm paying for school, you know, and I I have to pay it. And that's why. he said, okay. And he said, do you have any of these pictures? So in the middle of my shift, now keep in mind, I worked at a nice restaurant. It was nice. Middle of my shift, we go to the parking lot. I take all these posters out of my car. I'm laying them on the concrete. I'm showing them everything. And he's like, oh, that's so cool, blah, blah, blah. Well, I can only stay out for a few minutes. I go back inside. At the end of the night, I go over to Peter and I just wanted to thank them. I was leaving. I just want to say it was a pleasure meeting you. And he said, hey, Chad, I want to give you something. And I was like, yeah. And he gave me a check for four grand. And um, he said, now I have a question for you. Why are you waiting tables? So the check cleared a week later. I quit my job, and I had no debt, and I had 700 dollars in my checking account. I documented it that day. So that's where it all began. Wow. So I, I don't know if that gives you any answer that you're looking for. Maybe it's too much. Maybe it's long-winded. I don't know.
0: No, no, it's all it's all great. It's all painting the picture for us to understand. Sure. And I think it's all important. So uh, what I love about this story is that you had this this drive, you had a belief. In the idea, and you were so dedicated to it, and somehow everything turned out well, right? Like the, yeah, the that yes. specific event, uh, Peter that came into the restaurant, and you you, you just met him, you know, all the um, we say like all the stars fell in the right place. I don't know if it's something that you say yeah. in English at all, sure. but yeah, yeah, like all the stars were got aligned to it, yeah. And, and I I don't know, I really believe in energy. I believe that, you know, me too. the energy that we send out to the world is what's what we get back, what we receive back from the universe. And yes. I, I just feel like in your story, this comes up so clearly <laughs> to me.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. I think looking back at it today, I obviously tell this story a lot when I speak because it's one of those like, doesn't always happen type stories. But I'm not really a believer in luck. I, I'm more so a believer, like you said, and you get what you give it's energy. And I was obviously seeking anything in the universe that would guide me anything. I was just looking for it. Right. And I had the idea and I thought the idea was good and I thought it would work and I thought I could do it. And yeah, you know, you, You try and try and try. I mean, I did a lot of stuff, you know, before I went to this event, a lot of stuff. Like I went to inner city basketball courts and I tried to find the kid that I thought was the best. And I would offer to take photos of them and give them free posters and hoping that their friends would want to buy them, but they had no money. And I I tried that, you know, but I didn't know that was going to be the case. And I tried mailing samples to high schools and I tried calling people. I, I tried everything. I mean, I was just relentless. I just never gave up. that That's all it was. I just didn't give up.
0: Yeah. And I think you were just very, very resourceful, like trying yes. to solve problems, solve, you know, you, you see a problem, you want to solve it. You, you want, you're, you're just trying everything and you're willing to put yourself out there and take the risk, right? Yes that you're putting time and maybe it's not going to work. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, Something, something I, I do and I still do today is I have like a yellow legal pad. Okay. I don't know today it's digital, but for a long time, when I was young, when I first started, I had a yellow legal pad and every time I had a problem, no matter what it was, I would write it down. Okay. Every single problem, like someone calls and I can't accept credit cards. I would write down, can't accept credit cards right? It didn't matter what the problem was. Someone didn't get a poster. Uh, The delivery didn't happen. Someone, right? All of these things were problems. And so what I would do is just look at every problem and I wouldn't move on until I could solve that problem. Mm. And sometimes I could solve it in an ideal way. And sometimes I could duct tape it for the short term, you know? And so what you said about being resourceful, we had issues with the post office because things weren't getting delivered. And we were only working in the Chicagoland area in the beginning. And I had a friend of mine, this is no exaggeration. (laughs) He would get to my house at 10 p.m. This is before the iPhone, before Garmin. We were using MapQuest, okay? So we printed off directions on MapQuest and he would come in and get all of the posters that we were delivering for the day. So like, let's say there's 50 of them. And then he would lay them out on a map and then he would print directions from one house to the next. And he would get to our house at 10 p.m., take all the posters, and he would deliver overnight. Like We were going to people's doorsteps at two in the morning. So illegal, absolutely insane. But we did it. And you know what? When someone called and said, when's my poster going to be there? I could say tomorrow. And I knew it would be there. So that was, a, it was weird, but I still do that to this day. When we have a problem, we write it down and we talk about what is a perfect solution if technology and money are not hurdles. And to, to this day, that helps us still move forward.
0: Yeah. So I want to go back now to your your childhood, because I don't think that this trait of being resourceful and trying to solve problems, I don't think that it started when you were 18. Do you remember yourself trying to solve problems as a
1: child? Uh, You know, it's interesting. interesting. Um, I would say I had a great childhood from the standpoint that we played outside a lot. Okay. And the only time we were inside was if we were in trouble or it was nighttime or it was really cold. Okay. And so as a kid, we built tree houses. Like, you know, we found ways to get wood to build tree houses. So, yeah, when you ask about those traits, I definitely think that I'm a person that if I want something, I will move mountains to figure out how. And I think I've always done that, you know, even whether it was just like simply, you know, my dad always said I have something called the gift of gab, which is like in English, you know, you speak well. You can, I don't know, articulate what you want really well. And I can talk to anyone. And I use that a lot, you know, whenever I wanted something, I wasn't scared to ask for it. And I didn't get upset when I heard no, that never bothered me. So yeah, I guess those traits probably when I was a child, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think what you're saying about, you know, being outside and and building, building tree houses, being unsupervised by adults and just figuring it out by yourself as a child or in a group of children that in and of itself is cultivating a lot of resourcefulness you know you have to figure it out you don't have the adult to give you the answers all the time
1: absolutely yes yeah
0: and i think that's very different from the way that many of our kids grow up today
1: 100 percent agree yes. yeah
0: and i you know what i'm wondering now thinking of your own childhood and you know where you what you have accomplished how does that change the way that you parent or how does that affect the way that you parent your children today
1: you know that's interesting I I think my wife and I we talk and discuss our parenting tactics often because there's that unique situation right so the last thing you want to do in life is strip your child of the ability to achieve. Because the ability to achieve something on your own is one of the greatest things you can experience being human. And oftentimes what the goal of, parent, of a parent today is, is to give their kid everything or to give them a better life than they had. And I've said from day one, my parenting strategy is very simple. My goal is for my kids to look at me and say, if I turn out like my dad, I'll be happy with that, right? I will never say, oh, I want you to have this because I didn't, because I don't necessarily agree with that. Like my my childhood was full of scarcity, okay? And I can't say, and I, I, I think that that was a huge motivator in me not wanting scarcity, but my children have abundance and unfortunately, sometimes it's it's scary because you look at your kids and you say, "Man, I'm giving them everything and not having all of this is exactly what made me what I am today. And it's scary because you don't know like are you know, I think with all of us, you never really know right until <laughs> until they're older, how bad or how how well you did, but in my situation, so yeah,
0: so how do you think that you? are giving your child your children the ability to achieve although they have everything that they need and and theoretically they can have everything that they want right
1: yes uh so i can tell you one thing um the best way to answer the question for me is to tell you just what i do with them and that is i support their interests i don't care what it is like you know, my my eight-year-old, he has a bug show, Brady's bug show, right? He loves bugs. He loves filming. He loves seeing himself on film. He'll sit with you when you edit. He loves coming up with stuff, okay? But we actually didn't start the bug show for him to, to build some YouTube following. It wasn't that. We did it because he became fascinated with learning about bugs if he was going to report on them. And so we use building a little show for him as an educational piece for him and he learns about these bugs and we research them and we figure out when they sleep and when they hibernate and how they die and what they do and it's been a phenomenal like probably the best education piece that we've done with Brady was that so
0: i think that when we're teaching something then we become the experts of it
1: yeah so yeah, yeah that's absolutely. that's
0: a def- that definitely a great learning experience and a learning tool
1: My daughter, uh, she's 14, she has had a wide range of interests from ballet to tap dancing to volleyball to now she's in musical theater and now she's in acting and she loves it. And so what I do is I try to not guide my kids. Like Addison took $20 that a friend of mine gave her for her birthday when she was six years old. And um, she saved this $20 and she asked me if she could buy a glitter tattoo kit, okay? It was really interesting. It was a glitter tattoo kit. And um, I was like, yeah. So she asked me if I would buy it on Amazon for it. She gave me the 20 bucks. The kit was 1999 plus shipping. I paid for that. And we get the we get the kit in. And this was in March. Okay. She got the money in August, saved it, decided in March that this is what she wanted. So she buys it, she gets it. First thing she does, Brady at the time, I think was like two or three, two. And so um, so she was seven. Yeah, he was two. So she put the glitter tattoo on his shoulder. So basically what it is, a little sticker you put on there and you put glue on it and then you put the glitter on there, okay? And so she said, Dad, you know, do you mind if I come to Alabama with you or when I'm at Alabama this summer at the tournament, can I set up a table and sell glitter tattoos? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no problem. So we get out there and she sets up this little table and, you know, we had to do some interesting things because there's wind. So we had to take a clear piece of plexiglass and sit it over the things they wouldn't blow everywhere. That was a, that was a problem that Addison had to figure out how to solve. But so the first day was finishing up and we had been working like 10 hours and I was done and I was ready to go. And Addison had a line of kids getting, I had to wait on her. I had to sit there and wait on her for 30 minutes to finish. And she was charging $2. Okay. For glitter tattoo. So she sells out at that day, the end, she had like one left, I think. So when we left there, she's like, we go back home, we shower. And she's like, dad, I, I have a question. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, can we go to Hobby Lobby? I want to get something. And I was like, yeah. So we go there and she buys an airbrush gun. Okay. And then she bought number stencils. Okay. So what she did that started the next day was she did um, airbrush tattoos of the like the little siblings of their brother that was playing in the event, his number on their shoulders. And she charged $2 for those. By the time the week was over, Addison, she was seven. I think she was six, seven, eight, somewhere in that range. She made over $700. Okay. Yeah. And so it was crazy. And then, you know, like Brady, uh, a couple years ago, we were in Florida and Brady decided that he wanted to, um, he thought he could make some money from his bug show. So we've been collecting all these bugs and um, anytime he sees a dead one, he has to get it and he keeps it. So um, him and Mary, they did an experiment where, I don't know if you've ever used like resin to make um, to like these little clear things where you put like jewelry or whatever. So Mary buys this resin kit and they put these bugs inside of them and they make all this bug jewelry, okay? Where they <clears throat> put resin, they put strings on them like this right here. Mm-hmm. And he set up in the front yard and selling them makes a hundred dollars. Wow. You know, and it's like, they have that like, they understand that if you want it, you just have to figure out how to get it. Yeah, that's it. Like, yeah. so, yeah, and
0: I don't, know how, it. It. <laughs> I don't no, know how you
1: teach it. No, I I, teach I it.
0: It. it's not teaching It's just going with them. It's just mm-hmm. not stopping their own flow. You know, because yeah. they, they want to yeah. do do something. And it's really easy to say, no, no way. It's not going to it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. It's too much or whatever, you know, but as parents, you're just flowing with them and letting them do it. And then they're learning, yeah. right? It's amazing.
1: Well, when you're seven, you have to think about what does success look like to a seven-year-old. If she had made $20, she would have been over the moon. Right. But instead, she makes 100 and then takes that 100 and reinvests it in herself. And she had the idea on her own. Wow. And then that night, listen, this was another thing. While we were at the store, she bought a, um, a sketch pad and we bought the tripod for her, and she set it up on our balcony of our, the place we stay in for the summer. And she's out there. I literally have video of her doing this. No joke. She's out there stenciling, practicing how to do the numbers at 10 PM wow. for the next day. Like, you know, And so the, I, I, literally, I said, Mary, I said, Mary, come here. And we were just, she's, she's out on the balcony. And I said, I want you to know she's going to be fine. That one, you don't have to worry about. So we're we're down, you know, at the time we're down to one. If we can get Brady right, she's good. So yeah.
0: Amazing story. But
1: I let them figure it out. Okay. And I don't care. This is the only rule I have. I don't care what you want to do. If you want to clean parking lots, I don't care. All I all I ask is that you give it everything you have. That's all I ask. I, I don't care if you're successful, if you fail. Just be all in, or don't waste everyone's time. And I think that's kind of the you know the way that I operate. And I don't know. I my kids ask me. I always tell people you only ask for advice when you already know the answer. Like if you're at, if you're looking for me to confirm what you're thinking, I will. But um, you don't need my advice. Like you know, if you're thinking to ask the question, you already have a pretty good idea of what you want to do.
0: You know, I'm thinking when you're saying, I I, I let them you support their interests and you you try not to guide them right and you're not deciding for them what they want to do or what they or what their interest is or what their passion is that the only thing that you are telling them is that they need to give everything that they have to it so I was just wondering isn't that like putting a lot of pressure on something because maybe you know maybe it's an interest that is gonna go away in a, a month or so so how do you deal yeah, with that?
1: It's, yeah. Good good question and probably exposes more of my answer than I realized. I guess I would say that I will be all in on something you are all in on. And maybe that's a better way of explaining it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm all about trying 10,000 things. I don't really care. But if you want me to be all in and be super supportive, then I need you to be all in. But at the same time, you know, when you ask how do I support how do I support them? I also encourage them to play outside. Like my kids play outside every single day. They play kickball with the neighbors. They play football. They run. They play tag. They play hide and go seek at night, you know? So we try really, really hard to encourage them to get the best of what we had when we were kids, my wife mm-hmm. and I.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you feel like your environment supports that also? Because I, lo- I know that a lot of parents may want that, but... All the kids are at home you know they don't have who to play with outside
1: yes uh we have our neighborhood is amazing uh we have so many kids that are all a wide range of ages for, for all of our kids up through 14 all the way down to jordan's five we have them all and these kids all play together almost every day i'm not joking literally every single day like they carve pumpkins together they you know just uh, literally today it's raining right now, but even today they played outside. But yesterday uh, we had kickball in the front yard and the day before, and I play with them, you know, I go out, I roll the ball. I think it's just as fun as they do. And it's a way to be a kid. So I encourage them to live their life. And at the same time, I try to let them solve their differences without me intervening, which sometimes is hard from, from my side, it's hard because, you know, you have their kids, they still bicker or they, you know, get upset at each other. And you try, I just try to let them navigate the water and, see what happens obviously i'm not gonna let anything crazy happen but i don't know if that answers or if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah it does um and i think the encouragement of playing outside is is huge and you know it it relates to what we talked about about your childhood just the ability to be outside and play outside and figure out things by yourself or you know you're there with them some of the time but a lot of the times they're just with the with the other kids and solving problems by themselves and i think that's what's lacking a lot in many many children in the us you know in our area where we live right now and i wanted you to, to tell our audience a little bit more about like your lifestyle and the way that you educate our,
1: your kids yeah for sure so my wife and i We bought our house years ago, uh, about 10 years ago, and we paid $95,000 for it. I'm always very proud of this because we could get, you know, we could live wherever we wanted, but we chose a small house because we wanted our objective to be to travel. And we have a small house that's, it's, it's a separate, but it's a townhouse. So we have no exterior maintenance. We don't have to mow our yard. We don't have to do snow removal, none of that stuff. And so we spend the majority of our time. When you have a smaller house, you spend more time outside. It's just what happens. And so we do homeschool our kids because we travel a lot. So every winter we travel somewhere new for three months or a little over three months every single year. And then every single summer, we also try and take a trip somewhere that we've never been. And each year that we travel, we go somewhere we've never been before. And, you know, to your previous point about playing outside and I think tying it to entrepreneurship and how that worked out for me, it teaches you how to recognize as a kid how to come up with ideas of things to do. And Mm -hmm. as an adult, when you're in business, it helps you recognize new opportunities that someone else might not see. So I think that those are how they kind of correlate, but yes, we, my daughter, I will say this, my daughter is in school and her mom is not my wife. uh, So I had her when I was way younger and she she travels to meet us in the in the winters and we talk with her every day we face honestly it's really weird but we have a better relationship with her in the winter when we're gone because she calls and facetimes every day but when we're here she's all about her friends and could care less about us so it's really weird how that dynamic worked out but our boys we homeschool them and my wife and I both do it differently so she teaches the core uh subjects and then I am a super avid about teaching typing so both of my children, five, well, all three of them, but my five-year-old and my eight-year-old both can type very well. Um, and so that's something that I'm proud of because I know it was a skill that made my life better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to mo- for most people that I know that can type, they will tell you that it was a super skill that when they learned it, it really like helped them communicate better. So that, that's how we educate.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you're talking about typing because right now, Alon, my older son, is starting to only starting now to learn how to type. And he hates every minute of it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm trying to encourage him, you know, I don't know how to type well. Like I can type, but I don't do it fast. Yes. And, you know, I explained to him that right now it's like it's so hard. You do it so slow, right? But then you do it another day and another day and another day. And it becomes a little bit faster. You know, after a month, you're going to do, you're going to be a little bit faster. And then after a year, you're going to be a little bit faster. But after two years or three years, you're going to type so fast that you're not, you're going to yep. forget that you even learned that sometime in your life.
1: Yeah. Just similar to Elan, he didn't like it. Okay. Because mm-hmm. it was difficult for him. And I used an online program that is, you know, from home row to numbers, to punctuation points, all that. Brady was telling me he didn't like it. And I said, Brady, I want you to do me a favor. Go get a pencil and a piece of paper. And I want you to write your name 10 times and I'm going to time you. So I started a timer and I had him write his name 10 times. And then I said, now I want you to type your name 10 times. And when we were done, it was half the speed when he was typing. His hand wasn't tired. And I said, Brady, what you don't realize is that this particular thing, you barely know how to type. At the time, you barely knew how to type and you're already faster than handwriting. And you can do it for an infinite amount of time because your hand doesn't cramp or get tired. Now Brady can type over 30 words a minute and he's eight years old, you know? And even Jordan who's five, he can type 12 words a minute. And he uses all keys and he's five years old, which is crazy, but you know, for Jordan, it's it's interesting because he doesn't even know the alphabet and he can type, it's really wow. weird. So yeah, yeah. but I, it's a big skill for me. And so I think for you teaching your kids, It makes, it opens up so many doors, so many doors.
0: For me, it's always a question because I'm always thinking, you know, what is important for them to learn? What isn't important? You know, is it, is it only my conditioning that they need to learn this? Is it, you know, something Mm -hmm. that is coming from the outside? Um, and I was wondering your thoughts about it. What really is important to teach our kids in order to be successful in
1: this world? Well, I think the first thing that you have to accept immediately to answer this question is that money is important. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that don't have money will use the terminology that money is the root of all evil. And I actually disagree completely. I believe that having money just reveals who someone really is. They were never a different person, but they might have pretended to be different, but they weren't someone different. So I think the first step in answering that question is you have to accept that money is important. Okay. And so what you don't realize, and most people don't realize. Okay. So there's a, there's this, there's a a saying do not confine your children to your learning, for they were born in a different time. Okay. And for me personally, this is the thing that I want my kids to, to do, regardless of if they love it or not. I want them to recognize what is going on around them. And I want them to understand how to make money because if you can earn money. So, okay, this is a, this is such a touchy topic for me because I also try to be very middle of the road. I don't like to create enemies on this topic because it's such a dangerous topic when you start bringing up money and earning money and how to know what's important. But I'm a believer in life that the world would be a lot better if you, if your money, if you didn't work for money, Okay, if your money was there and you used your brain for money, but you did what you wanted for fun. Okay, so how does that happen, right? So let's just say hi. I'm just gonna use a simple analogy that everyone will understand. Let's say you have 10 rental properties. Every month you collect rent, you don't really have to do work, but all day you do whatever you want. Okay, and so I believe that that's like the best way to have a life. How, how do I say this? It's the best way to have a life that's full of whatever you want it to be, okay? Because most people are lacking one thing. So if you have this pie of the of the world, you have money, you have friends, you have family, you have time, okay? Unfortunately, you actually need all four to have a balanced, great life. And you might have a lot of money, friends and family, but no time. Then it's irrelevant, right? You might have a lot of time, but no friends and family, also not very fun, right? And so the key is to make sure that as your kids navigate through the world that they just understand balance. So they understand what to go after. When I mentioned teaching my kids typing, okay? Here's what I can guarantee you. If your son or my kids know how to type, if you are very, very fast at typing, you can most certainly have a job that you do not have to do physical labor, which then what does that mean, right? I'm not saying physical labor is not great, okay? I'm not saying it's not rewarding and it can be to each his own. But what I do know is that physical labor shortens your lifespan because it breaks your body down in ways that something else doesn't, right? For me, physical labor is working out for an hour in the morning before I start my day. That's my activity. And then I work with my hands and my brain. And so therefore I have friends that work in factories and they've aged poorly because they really hurt their bodies. And so I think all the things that we're teaching our kids, it's not so much that I'm saying, hey, I need you to go be a computer programmer or, hey, I want you to be a court reporter. I don't care what you do. I just want you to have that skill and know that if you want to use it, you can. If you choose to go put roofs on houses, by all means, go do it. I don't care if you love it, do it. So does that, does that answer your question? Yeah.
0: yeah, You you want to open up more opportunities for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. For sure. And 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 things that they might not understand today. Right. You know, like right. they like like Brady doesn't know that typing is important because he's never had a job, right? But the minute that he has to decide between typing in an air conditioned desk or landscaping outside in 100 degree weather, he'll appreciate those typing skills, at least I hope.
0: Yeah. And what else? Is there another skill like that that is really really important for them to know, you think?
1: The ability to communicate and make friends. Mm. I think people probably underestimate that skill over everything else. And, and I'm going to tell you why, because what I've learned in life, especially in business is if you like someone, you don't want to change. Okay. Like, let's just say, for example, you shop at a grocery store. Let's say you go to Whole Foods, right? We know Whole Foods, the nickname is Whole Paycheck, right? It's a, It's got a stigma. But let's say that every time you go there, they call you by name, you have a bagger that recognizes you and they always say hi. All of a sudden, are you going to change the school or the place that you shop at? No, because it's part of the experience, right? It's part of that, um, that environment that we want to be in as, as humans. And I think that's so important. Um, but so I, I definitely think that being able to make friends, and I think essentially as a kid, it's making friends, as an adult, it's networking. Are you able to network? And I think that that's how that skill transitions from being being friendly and being outgoing. So yes, I would say that's probably one of the most important skills, even more important than typing, right? Because here's the here's the rule of thumb, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but For me personally, let's just say hypothetically, I want to, I I don't know, let's say I wanna start a grocery store, okay? I wanna start a grocery store. Well, do I have to know how to start a grocery store? No, I don't. What I have to know is I have to know someone who knows how to build a building. I have to know someone who knows how to source something. I have to know someone who knows accounting, someone who knows lawyer stuff, and I have to know someone that has money. If I have all those things and I put the network together, I actually need to know nothing. Yet I can build a grocery store. Right. So that's why I would say that that skill to me is by and large, the most important.
0: Mm. And how is, how do we teach our children that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's the, that's the, the $10 billion question, right? (laughs) I think part of it is um, putting them in situations where they're not comfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, for me personally, I learned from Peter, actually, he said to me uh, when I was young, he said that you'll only be as successful as the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. Now taking that backwards to a child, that means they will only be as outgoing. And as I don't want, I don't know the right word, um, free spirited and uh, ability to adapt. If you put them in so many uncomfortable situations where their normal is just being uncomfortable and figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Because what happens as humans, and and I think it's just, again, it goes back to recognizing what our flaws are as humans. So as a human, they say, right, you create your habits, your habits create your life. Okay, so by default, we're creatures of habit. And it's the reason that if you go somewhere and charge something on your credit card that's uncharacteristic, they will freeze your card or they will text you that, did you make this purchase? Because it's out of your habitual pattern. Okay. And so I think that the habit that you have to create is not having a habit of doing the same thing over and over. That has to be the habit. So if you want your kids to be exposed to the world in a different way, it's stop letting them get comfortable with five friends, put them on teams of kids that they don't know anyone, take them to groups. You know, for us, we do homeschool groups. We take them to new places. Like, you know, they have this past weekend, um, last weekend, we had a college Thing where Brady went, and they were doing all these chemistry experiments, where they were like mixing chemicals. There's 80 kids there. He didn't know a single one of them. Brady came home with like eight friends. You know, we met you guys in Cancun, right? Your kids, our kids, neither one knew each other, and yet they gravitated, and it was no big deal. You guys traveled all over Quintana Roo, and you went to unique places, and your kids made friends because you put them in situations where they have to adapt, and they will. They'll be fine. Everyone like tries to control their kids' experience. Let them let them fall. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. So I hope, hope that answers and it's not too passionate.
0: <laughs> no, no, I think it's amazing. And it's a, it's, I think it's a, it's a really big question about, you know, the um, kind of like the world schooling type of thinking, you know, like travel yeah. with your kids and expose them to other situations, expose them to other cultures, expose them to different uh-huh. people. But then on the other hand is the stability that our kids need. So I'm wondering how you guys navigate that, like the, the the need of the safe harbor, that safe home, that safe space. But on the other hand, you know, you're traveling a lot and
1: meeting a lot of people. Well, I want to I preface all of this with we are not perfect. Okay. So I want to make sure that everyone, that anyone that listens to this, they don't think that I think my way of parenting is the best because when I met you, the truth is, I thought you were an incredible parent. My wife and I both, we left and we were like, wow, effort's amazing. Like we were just blown away and we loved it. Right. But it wasn't that you're better than we are. It's just that we're all different. And so in in that scenario, how do we provide stability? Well, I think that our kids consider home who they're with, whereas a lot of kids consider home where they are. And, you know, when you, to your point, traveling, right? We lived in Mexico for like three and a half months and our kids don't speak Spanish, but you know what? Every single day, they would use the terms, hola, como estas? And, you know, muy bien, gracias, de nada. You know, they started picking up on things. And when we went out, uh at, which, you know, you are familiar with this in Cancun specifically, they have these kids clubs everywhere that we went. Well, every kid in there didn't speak English except our kids. And so... But when we would go in, Brady would be on one side, Jordan would be on the other. And they're playing with kids that don't even speak their language. And they figure it out, you know, like they show things. And you actually know this about Jordan, but he doesn't speak well. And But Jordan, from that experience, learned, like if he were to say water, and let's just say we couldn't understand him, he would like go over and point. And he learned that from being around people that didn't speak his language. And so I think that that just also makes them, he's like naturally, to me. Okay. Now this is me personally. I personally feel that experience made him by default, a better communicator than other kids, his age, because he doesn't get frustrated when someone doesn't understand him, he adapts and tries to see what he can do to help them understand. Yeah. And I, and so, so I guess to answer your stability question and that sense of safety, you met us, you know, we love our kids. We embrace them. We support them. We encourage them to do unique things. And when we take them places, we just learn, you know, I mean, we're we're safe because we're with each other. We're at home because we're all sitting around reading a book or we're sitting around watching a movie together or we're playing a game. And, you know, when you do those things, you are, you don't realize where you are, right? Like if we're sitting down playing a game of Sorry or, you know, Jenga, you actually don't conceptually think about being in Mexico. You're just playing a game. So I think it's taking your kids and putting them in those moments. And that's how we build stability.
0: Yeah. So kind of maybe having the stability of a, of a routine or some habits that you have as a family, something that helps them feel like they know what's going on or where, what to expect, right? Like when you're getting to a new place. How's it, how their day is going to look like more or less?
1: Yeah. So for me personally, obviously we travel, I told you for, you know, the winter months and I'm very obsessed with what my morning schedule looks like before I ever get there. Because for me, I wake up early, I go to the gym and I, I work. Okay. Those are the things I do in the morning that I really love doing. And I do it, you know, while the kids are sleeping. I, I get up really early to do that. And for the kids, when they get up, they know the first thing they're going to do for two hours of school. That's what they're doing, okay? And so it's gonna go from a range of topics to this. And then they also know, depending upon where we are. So last year in Cancun, obviously we were on the beach. So every single day when we finished, we go to the pool, we go to the beach, they play for four or five hours. We come in, we go eat dinner, we go somewhere. And and that became kind of how it was. We would go out to dinner or we would cook, you know? Um yeah, I, I think that's interesting. It's it's hard to really give a concrete answer because it changes, right? Being in Mexico, the way that we provide stability is very different than when we were in. You know, this year we're going to be in in Siesta Keys, okay? And so it's it's the United States, so it's a very different scenario for us because it's different. And so to, I don't know yet how we're going to do it. If that, if that answers your yeah. question, sometimes yeah. it's okay.
0: But are you planning to to have something stable while you're there?
1: Yeah, of course. We will always mm-hmm. do school. I will always work out. We will always do breakfast. Always. Like those things are like the core morning, right? You have to kind of have this rule, like when the morning, when the day. And, you know, if we can like give the kids that form of good in the morning, then usually the rest of the day, it tends to work out okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's so interesting because you know, I talk a lot about resilience and the resilience, the true resilience comes from a place of safety, from a place of confidence and self-esteem and just having that strong attachment with, with, you know, your caretakers, your parents. And I believe that as long as you are giving them you know, that strong bond and that strong connection with you guys, it really doesn't matter where you are in the world. And it really doesn't matter who the people that you're hanging out with. They always have that security inside of them.
1: Yes. Yes. Something, um, you know, I don't know if we're going to get into it at all, but I think a really important component to a kid's outcome is who they hang out with. And how they choose friends, and um, something that I've learned from traveling is our kids have so much more confidence. And uh, kids that are naive, I think that they are. uh, How do I? I want to again. I'm always. I always try to toe the line, right? I want to. I want to be careful what I say. But kids that don't have exposure to the world, they're easy to wow, I guess is the word. I don't know. Like for my daughter, I'm just going to give you an example of my daughter. So my daughter is 14 years old. And the last thing I want is some guy coming along with a nice car and her being wooed. Right. Mm -hmm. I want her to know that she's been in a nice car her whole life. Like some guy comes along and says, Oh, we, we traveled here. It's like, I traveled for three months, every year for 10 years. Right. I don't, I want her to love people for who they are and not get sucked into something because they're fascinated because they didn't have that life. And I think by my kids ex- being exposed to the world, they're more likely to be leaders and a lot less likely to be followers because they're not afraid of the world, whereas so many people are. And so you know, I think that my like my daughter's age, obviously 14 for a female is like it's crazy, right? But I will tell you my daughter is amazing. And she, you know, she stands up for people that are being picked on and I'm proud of that. Right. And she does that. And she's like, you know, dad, the reason that that's the case is because you were, you were, you always picked on us our whole life, right? Like we, we were just always all about being funny and joking and not taking life too serious because you know, it's, it's a famous line. You you can't take life too serious because you never get out alive. And So my kids, I think they all know that if it's, you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, you -hmm. know? And so my daughter, I'll tell you, and this is terrible parenting advice, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mm -hmm. This is the rule I have for my daughter. If you do something dumb, it better be your idea and not someone else's. (laughs) Because if you follow someone doing something dumb, I'm going to be really upset. But if it was at least your idea and you could justify it, I will get over it. And that's that's the, the, what I tell her. all Again, terrible parenting advice, but it's how I feel.
0: I just love the communication that you guys have. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, you yes. know, what you said, what you said before about having a go- better relationship when you guys are separated, like when you are <laughs> when you are traveling, it's because you have that constant phone calls. And um, it just shows that you have a good communication with her. And I think like in the teen years, that's the most important thing just to have that open communication. So she will be, she will feel comfortable to just share with you, whatever is going on with her in her life. And that's it. You know, I think with the teens, it just ends there.
1: It's very hard because um, there's a fine line, right? And, In all honesty, just so you know, to me personally, managing a household is very similar to managing a business. It's no different, right? You treat people the way you want to be treated. And with my daughter being 14 and, you know, she doesn't really make too many dumb decisions, but you have to be mindful of how do you reprimand and what type of consequences. Because if you create an environment where she won't open up and she starts becoming deceitful or hiding things because she knows how you're going to react, that doesn't build a healthy environment either and so this is a fine line it's it's very interesting you know it, for us i mean we're we're learning as we go i mean right
0: <laughs> yeah all of us yeah so so how, <laughs> right. so i i'm just curious how do you deal with that like like what where is your fine line where does it go
1: so i would say that my fine line is are you being respectful to A, the people around you, and B, to yourself. So I think that's like all, you know, number one is respect. And are you operating the world in a way that you would want, like, your kids to, or your, it's, with Addison, it's, it's interesting because she has a brother who's five and she's 14, so there's nine years apart. So, you know, my question to her is, would you want Jordan doing this? Would you feel safe with him doing that? And It's more so about, I I think a powerful thing to teach our kids, you know, and going back to another skill that you spoke on earlier, another one is teaching our kids how to make decisions, not making decisions for them, but teaching them how to evaluate a decision. And then whenever you make a decision that's bad, you need to be able to articulate how and why you made that decision so we can understand where it's broken. So my daughter and I, she goes to school um, near her mother's house. And we actually have her half the time. It's a, We have an amazing relationship with her mom. It's great. But um, so half of the week I have her and, and I drive her to school in the morning and our drive is 45 minutes. And we literally talk about these things every, in the morning. That's what we do is we talk about how you make decisions, like what happened at school, who was doing what, what do you think they were thinking? And I oftentimes tell Addison specifically, I want you to imagine being that person right? So if they're yelling at you or they're upset at you, imagine being in their shoes and try to think about what they're feeling. Some people might have a bad home life. Some people, you know, might not like, you know, our kids, they get so many hugs a day. It drives them insane. But I, 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 we talk about it often. I'm like, Addison, you know, some kids, they don't ever get hugs and their whole life. They don't get hugs. And if they don't meet a perfect person, in, a, in an interesting time in their life, it, you know, they become introverts, their social life is spent on a computer. And, you know, like you get hugs and that's just how we roll. Like right? we always say that that's how we roll. When we meet people, we, I think I'm sure we hugged you guys, right? We're just huggers. That's who we are. And um, so I think that's super important to teach our kids how to make decisions and how to try and relate to other people.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow, Chad, so, so powerful. I feel like I've learned so much and I'm sure that our listeners as well. And I really, 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 really appreciate your time. I learned so much from this episode. Here are the main key points. Number one, building a successful business means having the mindset of resourcefulness. Problem solving and being creative can open up worlds of opportunities. Just pursue your path without hesitation. Number two not everyone knows what they want to do but if you strive for a life that will make you proud then you will find happiness passion and drive number three if you're all in and have belief in your mission the universe will assist you by bringing the right opportunities and people to you you get the energy that you give number four kids cultivate resourcefulness by being outside and navigating, playing with open-ended objects and figuring out obstacles without being guided by adults. Number five, the ability to achieve something is one of the greatest things you can experience in being human and we shouldn't strip that from our kids. Number six, supporting our kids in their interests and not being afraid of letting them fail and being all in in what they are what they are all in is a great way to support them in finding their own path. Number seven, our kids need to understand the importance of money and have the right mindset about it and see it as a tool to have a life that they want. Number eight, teaching our kids balance between time, money, friends, and family is important for them to live a fulfilling life. Number nine, The ability to communicate and make friends is crucial for success as it turns into good networking skills in the future. And if you have a good network, you can make anything happen. Number 10. Put kids in uncomfortable situations. You will only be successful as the number of uncomfortable conversations that you are able to have. Number 11, taking your kids out of their comfort zone and putting them in situations where they have to adapt will make them more resilient and have self-confidence. Number 12, safety comes from being with each other, having a family routine and being present with our kids. Number 13, kids who are exposed to the world are most likely to be leaders and not followers. Those were a lot of very powerful insights. I hoped you learned as much as I did. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you soon. hope you enjoyed this episode and was inspired to make small shifts in your parenting that will support your kids to bring forth their full potential while living a life of ease and well-being. To support the show, please make sure to subscribe and rate the show. Leaving a comment can be very helpful in promoting the show on the podcast platform. If you think that this can benefit other parents, please share this podcast with them. I invite you also to follow my Instagram account, Alternative Parenting Coach, and join my private Facebook group, Alternative Parenting, where I would love to hear your thoughts about the episode, what you learned, what inspired you, or what you didn't agree with. Your feedback is extremely valuable to me, as we are all in this process together, living, learning, and evolving. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you soon.